Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Hey, thank you, Dave Slade, and welcome everyone to another Baseball America College Podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with Michael and Anna here at BA World Headquarters in Durham, and checking in from for the first time, I think, in BA history from Lubbock. We have somebody <laughs> at the Baseball America uh, sent to Lubbock, and that's Ted Cahill, and that's because we both, uh, the three of us got to see two top ten showdowns, the two best series in college baseball this weekend uh, between the four of us, and all of our college baseball coverage, including this podcast, is brought to you by Louisville Slugger. There's power in numbers, and follow Louisville Slugger on Instagram and on Twitter at Slugger Nation, and uh, well, we'll have you guys, you guys are the two college baseball experts, you guys debate which was the better series Coming in, and which one wound up being the better series? North Carolina's sweep of Clemson in three very close games, two of them being one-run affairs, or Texas Tech winning the series against TCU with Texas Tech boat racing the Horned Frogs on Sunday. I ask you first, Ted Cahill, which was the better series? Well, I mean, from afar, you know, it looks like the um, you know Carolina-Clemson series was the more competitive of the two. Uh, you know, and so there's definitely something to be said for that, you know, close games, exciting games, you know, late comebacks. Uh, but, you know, the, the two teams here in Lubbock were, uh, you know, are two of the top teams in the country. And, uh, you know, when, when you can see them at their best, and, and Texas Tech was at their best on Sunday, and, and TCU was probably pretty close to their best on Friday when Nick Lodolo was, uh, you know, doing his thing on the mound. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for that, too. I mean, w- without a doubt, there are two uh, – Two premium series here with uh, you know four teams that we, we expect to go pretty deep into the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know any of them could you know, they, they both could repeat these series in their conference tournaments or, or maybe even in the NCAA tournament if they, uh, they could both if you know they can make it to Omaha. I mean, Mike, uh, did you I mean like from afar? What could you sense about that Texas Tech TCU series? Like coming in, like who did you think was going to win that? Did you think Texas Tech could? With that, that home, I mean, both home teams won the series, yeah. but it seems like it was a little bit. Uh, I, I just, I'm just blown away by the fact that there was a 21 run game. I know it's offensive at Texas Tech, but I just didn't expect that to come against TCU. That surprised me from afar. Yeah, that surprised me too. I thought it'd be a little bit more competitive. You know, at the same time, I know TCU is without Jared Janzik. You know, their Friday guy who has been their Friday guy this whole year, so you know that put them at a little bit of a disadvantage. Although Lodolo stepped up and it was great in that Friday night game. You know, I I would give coming in, I thought in my mind that Texas Tech would have maybe a slight advantage just playing at home and as good as they've been this year. But obviously, you know, I expected it to be a little bit closer than it was that final game. Again, I wasn't there. Teddy, Teddy was there and can delve more into that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think... You know, to me, and I'm biased because I was there, but the, the Clemson-UNC series, just how close it was. I mean, that was three exciting games and games that could go really either way, you know, late. Um, you know, Sunday's game went into in the 10 innings, drama until the end. Friday and Saturday's games, just the, the comebacks that you saw. And really, I mean, great starting pitching from Clemson. And you could argue that Clemson outplayed UNC through the majority of the innings of that series, but they just... Yeah, like you said in our video after the game, they didn't have Josh Hyatt and UNC did, and and yeah. I, I think that's a great point. Now that I've I've slept on it and thought about it more, uh, you know, Josh Hyatt just did such a, a phenomenal job this weekend. Called on to throw multiple innings at it 
at a time out of the closer's role and not a guy who's overpowering, but he has a great changeup. Um, he's mixing in the breaking ball a little bit more to righties, and uh, you know he's very fired up out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's that, got that closer's mindset, and that's that always good. And, I mean, he's yeah, he is. He's a separator for sure, as far as just between those two teams, Clemson's bullpen uh, blew three leads, and Josh yeah. Hyatt did not. And he pitched all three games. He pitched all three games for North Carolina against Kentucky when they swept Kentucky to start the year. Um, and it doesn't sound. And I guess that's been one of the issues for TCU. Has it not just again? You guys mentioned injuries, just pitching depth. Teddy, did that? That's. I think we expected that to be a strength for TCU, but obviously, when you give up twenty-one runs on Sunday. I mean, is that a legitimate concern for TCU going forward? Just their pitching depth, well, like if they were to, if they were to fall in the losers bracket of a regional, for example. Yeah, when the uh, so the series got kind of sideways on Saturday when they went three innings before they you know the rain came and they had to suspend the game, and I thought that was going to affect Texas Tech more because Texas Tech, and, you know, Mike, you mentioned TCU's without Jansek. Well, Tech is without Davis Martin, their Friday guy. Um, and so they, you know, Stephen Gingery has been statistically Texas Tech's best pitcher this season, and and, and in reality too. I mean, with um, with Davis Martin, you know, being on the shelf for uh, a few weeks now, and so they burned Gingery, you know, for three innings. You know, they only got three innings out of out of him on Saturday before the rain, and you know, TCU had to, you know, Mitchell Traver only gave them three innings too, but. You know, I thought like that set up better for TCU, and it did not. Ultimately, um, you know, they brought in Charles King and and uh, Sean Weimer, probably their two best, you know, long guys out of the bullpen. And they both pitched in the first game, and they when they lost that game, and had both of those guys already been used, that really meant that they needed Brian Howard to be really good in that third game. And Brian Howard, again, struggled early in the game. This has happened to him a few times this season. And more than the pitching depth, that's the concern for me, is that Brian Howard has struggled early in games. And when it goes south for him, it really goes south. And when they get Jancic back, they hope to have him back before the Big 12 tournament. And if he's able to stay on that schedule, you know, they, they have four really experienced Starters by that time, Lodolo will pitch the whole season. I'm willing to call him experienced at that point. Yeah. Um, and they have you know Weimer and Kane that can build a bridge to to Durbin Feltman, who is a good closer at the back end of the bullpen. I mean, I I, I think they're fine in the tournament. Um, you don't want to fall into a losers bracket, but you know whether you're throwing Traver or Howard in a losers bracket game, you can feel pretty good about that. Those are seniors. Um, you know, that's better than most teams for starters. So it's not a huge concern, but it was jarring. And it's definitely, you know, more of a concern today than it was a week ago, I think. It's it's jarring. There's no question that it's jarring. Uh, so it almost sounds like uh, they're twin parts of that for me with these college teams, these, these kind of teams. These are high caliber, eight for Omaha kind of teams. And one thing that stood out to me, Teddy, I didn't go through the box scores of, of your series, but one thing that really stood out in the North Carolina Clemson series is both those teams had starting pitchers who were able to kind of impose their will and go deep in games. I mean, Charlie Barnes had only gone, I believe, five innings in his previous two starts, but Charlie Barnes was outstanding Friday night against North Carolina for Clemson. Yeah. 
I, I thought he just kind of ran out of, I don't even think he ran out of gas. I think he got out of rhythm, and he'd been in such a rhythm for six innings. And it was a very strange scenario. Six and two-thirds, I think he'd given up two hits at that point, no walks, eight strikeouts. And he just struck out four of the last five <clears throat> hitters he faced. My voice is cracking because I did play-by-play play the whole weekend, <laughs> and talking again is a bad idea. But, I mean, Mike, I didn't see a tell of, like, his delivery fell apart or anything, but yeah, when it, I mean, it escalated quickly for it, North Carolina. And I, I just thought that inning where Carolina scored four runs and then and, and that Barnes had been so much better than J.B. Bukowskis, but that Bukowskis had made pitches when he had to mm-hmm. and had good defense behind him to hold Clemson to one run even when he wasn't at his best, and that Barnes just it fell apart so quickly. I, I have that, that inning, that momentum carry, I have a whole weekend for North Carolina from a confidence standpoint. Yeah, I think that really was a defining that, – that inning and really that stretch at the end of that game was a defining moment in that series because I think you're right. I think that momentum did carry for North Carolina. I think that was one of those moments it's tough to explain in sports when you have – it yeah. seems like you're, you're so dominant. It seems like you're in control. There were two outs in that inning – you pick up a couple hits, and maybe that was just the sigh of relief that UNC needed at that point. Right. You know, who knows? It's, it's hard to know. You know, I think something mentally there on both sides kind of kicked in, and then when Charlie Barnes went through that wild pitch, that's yeah. that's when things – he just lost the handle of a breaking ball. It went behind the batter for ball four, Tyler Lynn. 3-2 pitch, and he throws yeah. it behind the dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he'd been in such – I can't even express to you, Teddy – how dominant Charlie Barnes had been yeah. to that point. And there was a decent amount of heat in there that night, scouting-wise. They weren't there for JB. They were there for Charlie Barnes. Yeah. And the other guy who impressed all weekend was Chris Williams for Clemson. Right. That's a whole other story. But we're looking around the country draft-wise for college catchers. I mean, honestly, you guys tell me somebody who's better than Charlie Williams tools-wise. <laughs> I mean, who's better? Uh, that guy's got plus power, sick bat speed. He's a six eight runner in the sixty. Yeah, he's thrown out eleven and twenty one opposing base dealers this year. The left hand looked pretty decent. He might be a little raw defensively behind the plate, but nothing that a good catching coordinator in pro ball can't fix. That guy's a stud. They lost Chris Oakey, and at this point in the season, they're either even or maybe even a tick better with Williams behind the plate. I honestly, I never was as impressed. Chris Oakey was a really good player. He never had tools in college like Chris Williams showed me this week. I was blown away. Yeah. And I knew Chris Williams was supposed to be good. I, I was blown away by him this weekend. So. Yeah, no, he had a... That's it, a whole other tangent. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is It is a tangent. Um, let me let me connect all these tangents Please to, try. To get together. Uh, it is the, st- the just, job of this staff to connect John Manuel <laughs> randomness into a coherent stream of thought. <laughs> well, just to, to finish the thought in the late innings of that Friday game, I think... It was defining in that the momentum kind of carried over for UNC and they came back the, the next two nights, but also it was defining for Clemson because they brought in their closer, Riley Gilliam, in that game, and right. then you didn't see him the rest of the series. Yeah, he, he which I faced was, two batters, gave up two hits, yeah. got the loss, and got buried. The bull, Yeah, the bullpen was kind of shell-shocked after that, and it, it was kind of interesting. You know, they were trying a lot of different things out there. You know, they even brought in their midweek starter, Tyler Jackson, at one point in, in extra innings on Sunday's games just to try, try to find something that worked. And, and, and Paul Shuey, who I did the games with, Paul Shuey said, well, I hate they brought in a starter because they're tired of the bullpen. Yeah, so. well, they probably were, because starting-wise, they were great. Alex Eubanks is great. He's really, I mean, the thing is, Alex Eubanks was outstanding. Yeah, the thing is, is they don't have overpowering guys, but they have guys who know how to pitch. 
if you look at their rotation, you know, Charlie Barnes, even though there's a lot of heat in there to see him, I mean, he's going to top out at 90. Right. But he has good pitching feel. He has good command, except for that seventh inning. And, you know, he's got a, you know, a, a change-up that he uses to, to right-handers that, you know, gets some swings and misses on. And it's a, a plus change. Yeah, and a good breaking ball that he flips in there on occasion. And then, you know, Alex Eubanks, you know, the difference with him, uh, well, well, first of all, he works really quickly. He attacks. He pounds the corners. He's also, he'll top out around 90, 91. But he has a really good little cutter that he uses at 85. Yeah. 86 that keeps guys Cut, off balance. Cutter that goes away from right hand hitters, two seam sinker that goes into right handers. Yeah. I, I thought the, so the, kind of the big picture pieces that I'd like your thoughts on here, Teddy, as well as A, I mean, a sweep is a sweep. So obviously, North Carolina getting a top 10 sweep is impressive. Hashtag impressive. Um, and they did it without Logan Warmoth. I mean, he had one hit. He did key the Saturday rally, but the rest of the weekend, uh, offensively, Warmoth was handled by the Clemson uh, pitching staff, I think North Carolina has kind of clinched a top eight national seed barring a complete collapse, which I don't think any of us foresee is happening. Clemson still seems like it's in pretty decent shape for a national seed at 34 and 11 and with a very robust RPI. Texas Tech seems like it's in good shape for a national seed. Is TCU in any trouble for a national I guess out of those four teams, Teddy, uh, kind of assess their national seed cases at this point. Honestly, Clemson's in the worst shape. Um, you know, like you said, UNC is a lock, barring a collapse. They don't play another top 100 RPI team the rest of the year, so they don't necessarily need to win every game from here on out. But um, you know, they're going to be expected to basically. Uh, you know, so they're they're in, but their RPIs too. They're in really good shape. They're they're leading the division. They're right there with Louisville at the at the top of the ACC. They're they're doing just fine. TCU, for, despite the, the fact they lost the series, they're still winning the Big 12. And the Big 12 is still the number one RPI team in the con- RPI conference in the country. And I remain very strongly convinced that the Big 12 champion is going to be a national seed. And TCU still has a top 10 RPI. And they still have chances to improve that. And they play Texas this weekend. Texas is a good team. It's a top 50 RPI team. They're in the, they, we moved them into the rankings this week. Um, you know, as long as TCU goes out and takes care of business, um, you know, they're down to six Big 12 games. They can just win the Big 12. I think they're, they're just fine as a national seed. Texas Tech is in good shape. They're game off of TCU. They're number five in the RPI. Um, you know, they have West Virginia on the road this week. That's a top 10 RPI team still. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a helpful series, um, you know, to, to go out and play on the road. And uh, Clemson, though, Clemson's at four, which should be really strong, but they're now third in the ACC. Louisville is sitting at seven in the RPI, but they're winning the ACC. They have the most wins in the country. And, you know, they play Clemson at the end of the season, and I think that series is an absolute must-win if Clemson wants to be a national seed. I don't think they can afford a loss there. If they lose to Cle- if they lose to Louisville at home, I think it's over. Um, unless they go on another run in the ACC tournament. Uh, yeah, because they have Louisville and they have NC State as their last two series, and NC State's going to be in, in desperation mode. They swept Virginia Tech this weekend, which certainly helps their case. But it really does feel like Louisville and North Carolina are leading the Atlantic and the Coastal Divisions. Clemson feels like it's a regional host. But not necessarily a, a lock for a national seed, like you said. 
is Wake Forest the and, and Virginia are those two teams? Because like those two teams have a really great shot to host both in the top dozen yeah. of RPI. Um, uh, you know, Wake Forest boy, that that's going to be a, a strange one, I think, regional hosting wise, just because you know their RPI is going to go down. They still have to play BC. They still have to play Pittsburgh. Um, feels like that series at Florida State will be epic for the Demon Deacons hosting chances. Mike. Wake Forest has very little margin for error at this point, despite the fact they're number eight in the RPI, just because I just don't know how many hosts the ACC can get this year. Um, it's not, you know, it, it's, a, it's a weird year in the ACC. It's a little bit like last year in the SEC where there were seven hosts and no one else made the field. You know, the ACC is exceptionally top-heavy. But if you look at Wake Forest's resume by RPI, their best series win is North Carolina State, which is borderline regional team, probably bubble out right now, and then Georgia Tech, which is in last place in the ECC. So they could really use, um, you know, a series win at Florida State. That would that would go a long way to, to help in their resume. And the thing is, they could just for grits and shiggles, as they say, they could sweep Boston College. You didn't hear that one before, have you? I'm not sure I have. I've heard, I've, I've heard another version of that. Right, well, this is the on-air version. I haven't, Mike, heard, I haven't heard the on-air version. Teddy, no. the look on Mike's face was like, what the what? So, <laughs> what the uh, grits? Exactly. For grits and shiggles, uh, if Wake Forest were to win five of their six games against BC and Pitt, which is reasonable because they're going to be home for those, Right. 18 and 9 there, and then go 1 and 2 of Florida State, they'd be 19 and 11 in the league. That's pretty robust league record in the league that's well regarded whether it should be or not is a different story i'm i mean like they could host without a great series win uh which is but i think that's unlikely like you said that they would be a a fifth host i guess the other team that i'm really curious about in the acc is how you guys feel like miami's chances are to extend this streak i mean i'm curious about florida state as well obviously but i I mean i wrote that column about florida state miami florida state's rpi is still in the top 30 doesn't mean they're automatic, but they've got a shot at an art a decent at large bid. Miami's at seventy two. Yeah. And they've got Bethune, Cookman, Virginia <laughs> Tech, and at Virginia. I mean, that streak's ending, isn't it? Um, unless they go down to Virginia and sweep Virginia or win that series, I mean maybe and take care of business in these other series, maybe they get in. But their RPI is sitting at seventy two right now. And they're still they still have a losing record overall at twenty one and twenty two. I'm not I'm not very optimistic about their chances at this point because I I don't see them necessarily going down there and sweeping Virginia or you know taking that I mean that's that's really what they need to do is they need to need to make a big statement in that series and I, I just I, I feel better about Florida State's chances at, at number 29 in the RPI right now granted they do have a tough schedule going forward and you know how about Miami doesn't yeah. have a series sweep all year guys. Yeah. Not one. They didn't even sweep Rutgers. Well, <laughs> they didn't sweep Dartmouth. They lost the series to Dartmouth. Yeah. Their series wins are Rutgers, Georgia Tech, which that was one that was like, what? <laughs> uh, Duke, Pitt, and now BC. Well, I think I think the problem sometimes when you go to Omaha two years in a row is those guys eventually graduate and get drafted, and then you're without those, those Omaha pieces. And I, I think that's kind of the situation in Miami where – it's a team without an identity this year, really. It's yes, a, it's that's a, correct. It's a very young, very raw team, 
and you there's really no one you can really point to and say hey that's that's their guy or that's a guy that can carry you for a while i mean at least with florida state you have a guy like dylan busby who's getting a little bit hotter you have a hot freshman and drew mendoza who's yeah. finally it seems like he's he's hit a couple home runs it seems like he's starting to to show his potential and then you have you know but, but time's running out for fsu yeah i mean they've they got they're gonna get a big they're in fine shape are they? I mean, I know they're eleven to twelve in the league. They're in fine shape. They're gonna get a they big just, RPI hit from Pacific this weekend. Yeah. Then they've got Wake Forest at home and at Louisville. What if they lose both those series? Yeah. What if they're thirteen well, and seventeen lose, in the league? Don't lose your home series, basically. Like they beat Clemson at home. Like I, I no longer, like feel like you know, I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta win the series. They just lost to Virginia at home, but they've shown they can beat teams at home. They beat Clemson at home. They can beat Wake Forest at home. They this gotta is, do it. But I'm not concerned about that. The one thing I'll say is uh, this matchup, granted it was at Winston-Salem last year, but Wake Forest swept Florida State last year. Um, So I'm just kind of, it'll be interesting to see how they match up this year. Obviously the the venue has changed. It's a little bit different. But the the one thing about Wake this year that really stands out to me, and it's something we haven't really talked about a lot, is their road record has really improved. Over Hmm. the past few years, that's been their knock. You know, even last year when they, they made it into a regional, they had a losing road record, and everyone's always... Talking about, are they for right. real? Can can they win on the road? Because, because scouts definitely go in there and say, this is a band box. This, yeah. is this park. I mean, like uh, opposing coaches say the same thing. This park in for real. Yeah. Wake is a creation of the ballpark. They're 12 and 8 on the road this year. Yeah. So that's that's a, a tremendous improvement over what they had done the past couple of years. I'm just, I'm worried for the Seminoles uh, because this team, <laughs> they're not as good offensively as Wake Forest, not by a long shot. And on the mound, it's like a push. On the, I'm, I'm I, that that series. I know that's not this weekend. That's the series I have marked on my. That's like the biggest series remaining in the ACC for me. Because yeah. I think we, I think Florida State's not in fine shape. I, I think they're. I I would not have them favored versus Wake Forest. Yeah. And uh, but that's that's just me. Um, with a bit, I am uh, wrapping up the Big Twelve. I am curious. We we brought Texas in. It's the number one ranked RPI conference, Teddy. We only have three teams ranked in that league, um, and it was yeah. But Oklahoma is on the doorstep. We've had them ranked. We've had West Virginia ranked. Um, but you know Baylor has certainly fallen off from its good start. Oklahoma State has really never gotten going. Yeah. Um, and yet the whole league is in the top 100. Uh, we, we, I know you guys have worked on 6014 projections, guy. Teddy, what's your take on how this weekend leave? the Big 12 in terms of at-large bids, and obviously Mike, chime in. You know, I think it's still looking like six bids, five, six bids, which is very robust for a conference that only has nine teams in it. Um, Oklahoma State losing this weekend maybe wasn't great for the uh, Big 12. The Cowboys' RPI is now down to 53. There's still time to uh, fix that a little bit, but they're 6-11 and 11 in the league now. They're probably going to end up with a losing league record. We see teams get in pretty much every year with losing conference records. Uh, and, you know, a losing record in the number one RPI league is going to be looked upon pretty favorably. But, you know, they're in worse shape than they were last week. Um, you know, but Kansas is sitting at 500 with an RPI of 62. If they can find a way to, to close strong, you know, they might wind up, you know, bubble in. Um, and, you know, as bad as Baylor has been lately, they still have some pretty significant series wins. Their RPI is still 14. Um, you know, they're 8 and 10 in the league, but, you know, that's just one series away from, 
you know, turning around and, and looking a bit more respectable. Uh, but, you know, I think those top five teams of TCU, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma, they're all looking very solid uh, as long as they can, they can close strong. And to get five in a year after getting three in and then them all going to Omaha, like, I, I think that's an important step for the Big 12, uh, you know, which has really struggled to get large amounts of at-large bids since conference realignment took away three of their teams. Yeah, no, the Big 12 is certainly on the upswing. You know, obviously you, you, you start with, with last year and the, the three teams they had in Omaha and then, you know, what you're talking about this year. I'd certainly agree with you that they are in good shape. And uh, speaking of being in, in good shape, uh, our podcast has lost a member. Um, so we're in not as good shape. John John just left <laughs> us. So uh, it's just the two of us, Teddy. Uh, <laughs> we can go in a, in a lot of directions here. At this point, uh, is there uh, an area that you'd like to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, you know, well, we talked about two of the top ten series. We did not discuss Auburn, Mississippi State yet. So I think uh, I think that you know we had three top ten series this weekend. It was a great weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this third one in the SEC West, there, you know, Auburn goes down to Starkville and they lose on Friday night. It's the first time they've lost the series opener in SEC play this season, but they bounce back and they sweep a doubleheader in Duty Noble uh, to win the series and to move into first place in the SEC. Uh, you know, they're tied with Kentucky and with Mississippi State for, for first place overall and, and with the Bulldogs, obviously, in the SEC West. And, and Auburn now up to four in the ranking, which is their highest ranking since 1999. So yeah. They're throwing it way back. They're, 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 uh, they're, they're partying they're on against the 1999. Rest in peace, Yeah. Friends. <laughs> um, but I mean that was that was an impressive win. I mean the the Bulldogs have been playing as well as anyone in the SEC. Uh, they've won, you know, since since being swept by Arkansas on opening weekend, they've won every series. And um, you know they're tough to beat at home. And, and Auburn, you know, no Casey Mize this weekend again. He he was still uh, he was hurt. He was initially scheduled to pitch on Sunday, or they hoped they would have him on Sunday. And then uh, when they had a rain and they had to move the series finale up to Saturday. Um, you know, Mize didn't quite feel ready to go, and so Coach Butch Thompson decided to give him another week. They, they hope they'll have him next week against Alabama. But, you know, Auburn wins the series, but they lost the game Keegan Thompson started, and they didn't have Casey Mize. And coming into the year, if that happened, you know, I felt like there'd be pretty much no way Auburn could win a series like that on the road. But their offense has really improved over the last, you know, just in the in conference play, especially in the last few weeks, and you know they now have multiple ways they can beat you. It's not just about that rotation going and, and shutting down opponents. They they can win slugfests. They can win games, uh, you know, where they need their bullpen to step up. And you know, I, I've just been very impressed by the way Auburn's been playing lately. Yeah, there's no doubt. If you had asked either of us in the preseason, as we were putting together our preseason top twenty-five. If if you had asked us, hey, do you think do you think Auburn is a top ten team this year? I don't I don't think either of us would have said that. Same goes for Kentucky, and even you know Mississippi or State or Mississippi State for yeah. that matter. Yeah, Mississippi State as well. You know, just because you know all the turnover there, and you look at the the top three teams in the SEC, and within our top twenty five, the three top ten teams are Auburn at four, Kentucky at six, and Mississippi State at nine, and. You know, that says a whole lot about just the job that, you know, those coaches have done there. You know, Nick Mingione taking over at Kentucky, 
They had another big weekend this weekend at South Carolina, albeit a, a South Carolina team that is, is struggling. It's their fifth straight series loss, and they lost their ace, Clark Schmidt, to Tommy John surgery, unfortunately, for, for them and, and for Clark Schmidt. But uh, still an impressive series, the way they, they jumped on Will Crow uh, in that Friday game, a 19-1 win. Uh, Will Crow is a, is, a, is a top prospect in his own right, although he's struggled lately. And then uh, Mississippi State, even with the series loss to Auburn, I mean, they're, they're in good shape as well. I mean, those are really, those three teams, we've, we've been looking for separation in the SEC, you know, kind of looking for one of those traditional powers to, to emerge and get hot. And, you know, I, I think these are, these are the three teams. And then Florida, obviously, is right there as well at number 11, and things are coming together nicely for them. Um, I, when you look at the SEC right now, I mean, with with only a you know a couple of weeks left now before the the SEC tournament, I mean, do you see these teams, Auburn, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Florida, are these the teams that are you know kind of the cream of the crop in the SEC right now? Well, there's no question that those are the four best to this point, but I remain hesitant to put Mississippi State really like if we're projecting out, they just have. So many injuries, right? Like it's going; it has to catch up to them at some point. And I think it showed a little bit this weekend. Um, you know, they win on Friday night with Connor Pilkinson, their ace, and they can they can win on Friday night with anyone in the country. He's good enough to to make that happen, and, and they have enough offense. But you know, the next two days, or or the next two games, as it were, you know, they're they got to really piece some things together, and if they have to play a doubleheader, um, you know that really. If they don't, if they don't get someone to, to step up and eat a bunch of innings. It's just tough for them, and you know they give up. I think it was 22 runs in that doubleheader, um, and, and most of those, a lot of that was late in, in game one. Uh, Auburn really got to the bullpen a little bit, and you know Mississippi State's definitely not going to roll over. At no point, no matter how many injuries they sustain, are they going to, to roll over. Um, that's just not the way they're wired. That's not the way Andy Cannizzaro has them playing. But when we look at these other teams, you know, there is a talent difference. When you, have, when you only have 22, 23 players versus you know, when, when you have, can have a full travel roster, just uh, you know, not, not to mention you know, going up to 30 or 35, um, you know, Mississippi State doesn't even have a travel roster. They just have a roster, and um, you know, so at some point, I still feel like that's going to catch up to them. Brent Rooker is incredible. He and Jake Mangum, you know, make that offense go, and it's going. But you got to have the pitching at some point, especially in that league. And um, you know, that's one thing that Kentucky, Florida, and Auburn all have. They've got a lot of it. Um, you know, especially Florida. And, and Kentucky's rotation has been very impressive. This weekend was the first time since 1999. They won a series at South Carolina. So, you know, even if South Carolina's a little bit down, I mean, anytime you can do something for the first time in nearly 20 years, I mean, that's impressive in that league. Yeah, everyone's everyone's pardoned like it's 1999, uh, which is <laughs> pretty cool. But, yeah, speaking of uh, Brent Rooker, I just I was looking at his stats earlier because he hit two two more home runs in that doubleheader. Um, just when he thought he couldn't hit any more home runs, he hit two more. Um, his numbers, just uh, you know, just a, a weekly you know Rooker check in. His numbers right now: four thirteen batting average, five oh nine on base, a nine thirteen slugging percentage, nine thirteen, nineteen home runs, 
64 RBIs, and for good measure, he's stolen 17 bases in 21 attempts. I mean, those numbers are ridiculous, and obviously, you know, Mississippi State's playing a little bit shorthanded, but I think you could just have a lineup of just Brent Roker, and, and you probably still would put up a few runs every game just from sheer sheer power, sheer home run power. And, uh, if you had a lineup of just Brent Roker, I think I'd rank that team number one in the country. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, you know, maybe maybe at some point, you know, he's done so well at the plate. Maybe just try him on the mound too. You know, if, you know, well, see what happens. So They've already tried Jake Megum. Sh- well, this is how shorthanded Mississippi State is on the mound. They have five position players account for five wins. And earlier this week or last week, uh, I don't remember exactly when it was. Uh, Andy Canizaro, in a meeting of his hitters, asked them, "Has anyone? Were any of you really good pitchers in high school?" And can any of you do? Any of you feel like you can you can pitch? Yeah. And they you know they had a volunteer. They went out and they threw him, and it worked well. But like that's where they're at with their team, and you know that's that's awesome uh, that they're able to to keep it going to this point. But you know when you think about just going into postseason play, were they to ever fall into a loser's bracket? Um, you know, or even in the SEC tournament where you have to play a lot of games in a short amount of time, like they're going to run into problems at some point here. But Brent Rooker, uh, not to not to belabor the Brent Rooker point, I, I feel like that's impossible to do. But he's leading the country in four statistical categories: doubles, RBI, slugging percentage, and total bases. He's second in home runs. He's third in batting average. Uh, I mean, it's incredible what he's doing. Right. Yeah. No. It certainly is. And, uh, you know, shifting gears here, uh, you know, that's quite a bit of SEC talk. Uh, let's, let's turn our attention out west uh, to the Pac-12, um, a, a couple of big series out there as well, namely the, the Arizona at Stanford series where for the second straight weekend, Arizona was swept. You know, Arizona has only lost three series this year. But all three of them now have come in sweeps. You know, when they when they got swept at Oregon State, it was like, okay, it's Oregon State. Oregon State's playing on real right now. But now, back-to-back weekends, uh, and, you know, you look at their offense, that's been their strength this year, and really they're struggling to score. They scored just six runs this weekend combined at Stanford. Um, the weekend before at Utah, at home, you know, a place where they should thrive offensively, you know, they didn't do all that much better. I'm going to ask you this, Teddy, and I'm going to go ahead and press it just because I haven't pressed it in a while, and I want to. But is it time to panic a little bit with Arizona? Your thoughts? Well, I think it, de- I think it depends on what we're talking about in terms of panic. Um, if we're talking about panic in terms of will they host, it yeah. might be. You know, they're 9-12 in the league right now, and um, they still have an RPI of 12, but... You know, we talked about how weird Wake's uh, hosting resume is. Arizona's is incredibly strange. Yeah. I don't think they'll finish under 500 in the league. Uh, you know, but they're not going to finish particularly high in the league, probably either. Although um, my favorite stat about the Pac-12 is that the gap between uh, first and second place is five and a half games. That's larger than the gap between second and 11th place, uh, which is five games. Um, you know, so things can change quickly there. Um, you know, with just a couple couple results, but you know they're going to be fine overall, I think. But the lack of offense the last two weekends is a problem. They got J.C. Cloney back this weekend, and that was very important. Uh, but they need to start hitting the ball again because that's what this team is built to do. It's not built to be 
you know, they're not supposed to be in pitching battles like they were this weekend. You know, that, that's not the kind of game they're supposed to be winning. They need to be scoring, you know, five, six, seven runs a game, uh, and you know, to, to be at their best. And they got to get that going again. If they don't, you know, it's a problem. Yeah, and, you know, and this next weekend, you know, it's really not going to get that much easier. They're they're bringing in Washington, which you know, Washington obviously is a team that that we have liked and has been in our top twenty five at points this season, was preseason ranked for us. And, you know, a team that, you know, with Noah Bremer and Joe Demiers can, can certainly hold, hold its own on the mound and obviously is a, is a physical lineup as well. You know, that's going to be a very interesting series to watch. Obviously, you know, the Wildcats, you know, they certainly can't afford another sweep, and I, I wouldn't ex- anticipate that to happen. But, um, you know, for them, for their sake, it'd be good to see a, a series win out of them. You know, looking at the rest of their schedule, they're going to the East Coast, playing College of Charleston in an interesting series there, and then finishing with Arizona State and California. It's it's not a terrible uh, end of season stretch. I think I think they will be. I mean, they're going to be fine as far as the tournament goes. I guess more my panic button is okay. Are they going to host? And that I'm not entirely sure of. I think this weekend is, is going to tell us a lot. You know, I think coming into this weekend against Stanford, in some ways, we thought it could have been a battle for okay, which Pac-12 team is going to host out of these teams and obviously Stanford has really caught fire of late and is really building up that case and you know also sweeping Oregon at Oregon was extremely impressive for them and you know they're really putting together something great here uh you know I don't think anyone's going to catch Oregon State at this point uh, given that they're 18 and 3 in the Pac-12 but uh you know certainly it's going to be interesting to see how that tightly clustered group there behind them, as you mentioned, how, how that's going to shake out. UCLA is still uh, a fascinating team to watch. Um, you know, they won a, a non-conference series this weekend against Cal Poly, and then they're going to go to USC this upcoming weekend. Um, they'll, they finish the year at Oregon. They still play Utah. You know, they're going to have some opportunities to maybe build their RPI a little bit. You know, they're kind of on the fringe. Oregon's on the fringe. And Washington, in some ways, is on the fringe. So we'll see out of that it's, group who emerges. I mean, when you look at the, this conference, Oregon State obviously locked national seed. Uh, Stanford and Arizona are on like the hosting bubble, and then everyone else is like tournament bubble. Um, they're all really good. Um, you know, most of them, all but Washington State, are top one hundred RPI, but. Most of them are sitting around the 50 to 60 range. Uh, you know, UW, Utah, 51-52, UCLA, Oregon, 60-61, uh, Cal at 77. And like we mentioned last week, their, their schedule is incredibly strong down the stretch. So if Cal's able to win games, that that'll, number will move in the right direction. But, you know, this conference is good. But when you look at these RPI numbers, it's just hard to see – who's really going to join what we think to be the top three teams in the tournament. Somebody's going to do it, probably two of these teams at least, but I I don't know which ones it's going to be. I don't know either. And speaking of confusion, let's just let's just get more confused here and let's Oh yeah, let's do this. Let's let's <laughs> go to the American. I I, I think we're <laughs> on the same page there. Oh uh, yeah. Um all right, so let's so th- this is how the American breaks down right now. Okay, South Florida, nine and six in conference. UCF, nine and six in conference. Houston, nine and six in conference. Connecticut, you guessed it, nine and six in conference. What about Tulane, Mike? 
Tulane, nine and six in conference. Five way tie for first place right now in the American. Um, all I can say is, LOL, what? It's it's it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we uh, moved South Florida into the rankings this week at, at number twenty four. Um, uh, coming off of a, a nice series win at home against Houston uh, that helped create this five-way tie. Um, I don't know that any of us feel strongly about any one of these teams. South Florida has the best record. They have the second-best RPI. Uh, they're just a spot behind Houston in RPI. Um, but it's such a mishmash here, and I think they're, they're looking at probably four bids maybe a fifth if Tulane can uh, you know, find a way to, to push that RPI a little bit better or if somebody goes and, and wins the conference tournament um, you know, from the Cincinnati, Memphis, East Carolina group. But I don't know. I, no we, are, we are totally at a loss for, for what's <laughs> going to happen here. And um, you know, this league, we talk about this all the time, just the way this league, this is the way this league has been since, um, you know, the Big East broke up and, and they created this thing. Um, all of them are, are pretty similar, and it leads to very tight conference races. And, and it also doesn't help that they only play eight conference weekends. Um, you know, that, that means that they're, you know, they're, they're just fewer opportunities to separate themselves and, no one is separating themselves right now. Um, you know, I think any of these teams could could end up winning the league, and it's it's just going to come down to, you know, some of it's just going to come down to how the schedule breaks out for the, the final three weekends here. Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't I I have no I wish I could place a bet here and say I have a gut feeling about so and so team, but I I really don't I I really I really have no idea at this point. Um, I think, you know, we all like Houston a lot from a, a talent standpoint. Uh, even without Seth Romero, they're still a very good team. They, obviously, they'd be better with Seth Romero, but that's that's a story for another day. Uh, South Florida, obviously, a lot of talent on that roster as well. And, you know, we like UConn uh, as far as their pitching, especially, you know, with Tim Kate fronting that rotation. And then, you know, Tulane, the way they've caught fire of late, I don't know. It's it's a really just fascinating conference, and it's going to be a fun conference to watch over the next few weeks. But um, certainly uh, not an easy one to predict for our purposes for our field of sixty four. You know that's certainly going to be uh, they're making it hard on us right now. But such is life. Um, where it's less difficult is uh, out in the Big West, where uh, both Long Beach State and Cal State Fullerton won series this weekend. And it's really, those are the only two teams you really need to concern yourself with for the most part. Well, Unless Cal Poly, um, you know. This weekend, in. Cal Poly uh, playing Long Beach State. I mean, they're in second place, but tied with Fullerton. Uh, they have a lot of ground to make up. Uh, you know, the, they've, they've uh, allowed Long Beach State to open a, a pretty significant lead there. But this weekend, if they can go win a series, like three and a half back, they could start cutting into that lead a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe Cal Poly has something going. That's a team that we liked a little bit coming into the season. They've been disappointing. They're under 500 overall. But they've got things going in conference. They beat Fullerton in the series already. But they can repeat that against the Dirtbags. It's not going to be easy. They're going down the road. And the Dirtbags very loosely, very rarely lose at, at Blair. Um, you know, but this is this is going to be a more difficult weekend than what Beach has faced. Um, you know, Cal Poly is, is going pretty well here. So... 
if there's going to be a race, if, if, if a third team is going to inject themselves into the race, it has to happen this weekend for the Mustangs. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and that that would be that would be about it. Because otherwise, you look at the rest of the conference and Cal Poly included, um, every RPI is in the in the triple digits at this point. Yeah, and everyone else is five games back. Fullerton and Cal Poly are tied three and a half back, and everyone else is five games or more back. So yeah, so um, that, know, at this point, with a without a conference tournament, those teams are all pretty well dead in the water. Right, right. Um, you know, looking at. Uh, at the rest of our our top twenty five, um, we brought Southern Miss back in. Um, they're uh, they're at the top of Conference USA, and you know I think they've they've clearly separated themselves as as the top team in that conference. It, it's also kind of a difficult conference to handicap at this point. Um, you know, looking looking at the standings there, you know FAU is still within striking distance. There, well, and they go to Hattiesburg this weekend. It's a, it's yeah. a big weekend. Uh, there, it's another you know one of these one-two mashups, and FAU uh, is not dead in the water in terms of earning an at-large bid. Uh, you know, they still play Old Dominion, they still play Southern Miss, and those are two potentially pretty big RPI moving weekends mm-hmm. for the Owls. Um, but they're also two pretty difficult weekends. Um, you know, FAU and, and Southern Miss have been kind of two of the, the most consistent programs in that league for the last few years. And so I think it'll be a fun weekend there. There uh, at, at Southern Miss this weekend, and, and it has huge implications, obviously, for the the Conference USA race. No doubt, no doubt. FAU, you know, certainly, you know, this is really their their best chance this weekend against Southern Miss. Uh, they're they're also going to have a series against Old Dominion to finish out the year, which is another opportunity for them to to build up their RPI a little bit and improve their case. But certainly, if they could win this series against Southern Miss this weekend or make a statement there. Um, that would certainly be good for their chances. Their RPI is sitting at 59 right now. Um, you also have, uh, like like I mentioned, Old Dominion's in the mix there, two games back, RPI 38. Charlotte's in the mix there, also two games back, RPI 49. Um, we'll, we'll see how that conference shakes out. But as mentioned, Southern Miss moves back into our rankings. Uh, Texas joins our rankings at number 25. Um, as the Big 12 continues to, to shake out there. They're the third Big 12 team in our top 25. And uh, South Florida is the chosen American team this week. Um, we'll see if that continues or not. Again, the American is, is very, very confusing at this point. So Houston dropped out. Mercer dropped out after, after dropping a series this weekend at UNC Greensboro. And, and West Virginia dropped out as well after dropping another series. But... They remain in good shape as the number 10 RPI team in the country. So that rounds up our, our top 25. Teddy, is, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to talk about? Um, you know, I think uh, I think we did a pretty good job of fitting it. I, I think it was a, a really fun weekend in college baseball. You know, we had the three top 10 series. Uh, Arizona and Stanford was another top 20 series. Uh, it, it was a big weekend as, as April closed, and now um, we're only three weekends away, the last three weekends before conference tournaments start, uh, for the most part, um, the Ivy League and the Patriot League will get underway a little bit sooner than that, I think a couple other, but um, you know, the, we're really getting down to the stretch here, and um, you know, players, players have to deal with finals right now. I know uh, here at Texas Tech, they're, they're getting ready for those uh, in about a week, I think. I, Starbucks today, and we was asking uh, a friend to buy them a, a Scantron sheet. Uh, it's that time of year. Uh, yeah. So I don't. I do not miss that time of year. 
Uh, but, I don't you know, once we get once we get through these finals here for a lot of these teams, you know, it's, it's baseball, and uh, I, I, that's, that's always a fun time for, for the players and coaches. Um, you know, we we hit in the stretch run, and and they can uh, they can really focus on what they've got to do on the field, um, having wrapped up their uh, their duties in the classroom. Right, right. Yeah, if you're if you're a college baseball player and you're listening to this podcast right now, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, why aren't you studying? You have exams. <laughs> Study for your exams. Uh, Teddy, uh, before I let you go, what was the best thing you ate in Texas the entire time you were there? Because you were there for a while. I'm sure you ate something good in Texas. I, I have been here uh, for two weeks now. Um, Almost. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a good question. There's been a lot of pretty good food here. Um, there was good Vietnamese food in Houston. Vietnamese was, uh, in Houston? Wow. Upset yeah, city. I a, well, there, I didn't know this before, but I guess there's a large uh, Vietnamese community in Houston. And wow. So that as a result, there's good, uh, there's good Vietnamese cuisine there. Uh, there's been good barbecue here in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I I got some at a place called Kegels, uh, where I had to drive through like a little field to get to the restaurant. There were no cows in this field, uh, but it was it was like you were driving into the ranch basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was good, recommended by uh, one of the Texas Tech coaches. So uh, you knew that was going to be good. And uh, you know, there's always good uh, good tacos uh, down here as well. So it, it's been good overall. I don't I don't. I know I didn't answer the question specifically. Um, I'll, I'll have to think about that a little more, I think. All right. Chew, yeah, chew on that a little bit. You know, I, I have not had uh, as good a meal selection as you have had, although I did have some pretty dope tacos uh, Friday night in the UNC press box as I, as I covered that series. But otherwise, it's been a pretty boring week food-wise. But speaking of food, I think it's time for uh, for all of us here at the, the Baseball America office to go get some lunch. And we're going to wrap up this podcast on that note. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Louisville Slugger, for sponsoring us as always. Remember, Power Numbers, they sponsor all of our college content. You can find this podcast and more on baseballamerica.com, we have our top 25. Teddy does his top 25 chat. We have we have so much content. I can't even list all the content we have on baseballamerica.com. So you need to go on baseballamerica.com. It's all free. Our college content is free. You can read it all. You can enjoy it all. You can comment. You can tweet at us. You can complain about our rankings however much you want to. We promise we're cool with it. So thank you for listening, and uh, until next time, I've been Mike Lanana. Thanks, Teddy, for joining us. So long. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.